0: Um, just to echo in our hearts some of the sentiments that we sang um, to the Lord in that last uh, set of, of songs. And so why don't we pray and let's just ask the Lord to just to open our hearts and to break our hearts. where Our hearts are in need of being broken and that we might look on his word um, with with amazement and wonder this morning. It is... It is just a, a work of grace that we have God's Word, right? I mean, it really is. And so let's just ask the Lord to give us a joy um, in Ruth chapter 4. This has been a um, this has been a, a quick series, right? I mean, we've done a chapter a week um, through the book of Ruth. And so I feel like some of us maybe are even still trying to catch our breath, right? Um, if you've been here going through this series with us, it's been a lot of material. We don't typically tackle books this quickly. Um, but I think that in doing so... We We've really gotten this great picture of um, of of what's going on. We've really seen the story uh, laid out before us in a a super clear way. Not because so much of anything that I've done, but just because that's the way that the book works. And so, um, let's just ask the Lord to uh, to just to to just bring us to a place of amazement as we read through um, in just a moment, Ruth chapter four. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your great grace and being able to be here and to sing to you. Um, is, uh, uh, is, is is all your love, it's all your grace, it is your work in our hearts that produces a desire to sing to you naturally. We sing to ourselves, we lift our hands to ourselves, but you have redeemed us and you have reconciled us through the blood of Jesus and uh, our hearts are now new and our hearts beat for you and our desires are for you. And so as we approach your word this morning, we pray that we would not do so in a haughty way, that we wouldn't do do so in a self-centered way. That we wouldn't do so in a haphazard way, but instead that we would come to your word this morning and we would submit ourselves to it, um, and that we would desire your glory to be realized in our lives as a result of the transformation by your Spirit that comes as your word is read. We understand your word because your Spirit gives us understanding, and so we are we are eternally grateful um, for for who you are and for the way that you work in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. God has been working uh, through the book of Ruth, right? That's one thing that we have uh, stepped back and we've said each week, we've tried to acknowledge God's sovereignty, God's providence, God's working um, in the book of Ruth through what might uh, appear to be at times insignificant uh, events, small insignificant events um, to bring about the eternally significant uh, reality of the coming of Jesus. Um, He has brought Naomi back to Bethlehem. Ruth has been um, introduced and now we see the culmination of this wonderful story of love. We've said the past few weeks, initially up on the surface, right? It's this love story between between a handful of characters, but as we we zoom up and we look at it from a a 30,000 foot perspective, as we look at it from a redemptive perspective, we see that it is a much bigger love story than just Between these characters, but it's God showing his great love for sinners right? It's God showing his great love for sinners. And so there's a big picture that as we come into Ruth chapter 4, I want us to um, seek to wrap our minds around. And that big picture is this. If you're a note taker, um, whether that's on your iPhone and if you're not a note taker and you're like I have no paper, no pen, I got nowhere to start today, but I have a phone, I would encourage you to take notes. We love notes. Uh, We're fans of notes. It assists in going back later and processing through what God teaches us from his word. So be a note taker today, and one of the first things that you can write down um, or type in is this, that God, and this is our big picture, it all comes back to God, right? God, in joyful, covenant-keeping love, redeems the needy, producing life, leading to the entrance of light into the world. And you say, that's a lot. Hang on, let's do that one more time. To which I say, yes, absolutely, here we go. God, in joyful, covenant-keeping love... Okay, so we're learning something about God, even as we begin our time here, that he is a covenant keeper, that he has great love, that he has a covenant-keeping love. And in God's joyful covenant-keeping love, he redeems the needy. He redeems the needy, producing life. Which is a drastically different, a starkly different contrast to where we began this book. And we'll talk more about that as we continue on. He produces life leading to the entrance of light into the world. And so, again, as we come to Ruth chapter 4, and we've really tried to, over the past few weeks, um, sit in the context of Ruth right like we've really tried to embrace ruth from the perspective of the author and the original audience right but this morning we're really going to see this thing blow wide open there's a climax that comes in this book and it doesn't come until the very end right and so it's almost as though we've been for the past 4 weeks climbing a mountain together right and we're 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 looking ahead and we know that there's a climax that there's a summit right but we end on the summit there's really no like down the other side, and here we go. We just go to the mountaintop, and then we stop, and then we're done, and we sit, right? And we just observe what God has done. So we're finishing on the mountaintop. There's this this entrance of light into the world that we're going to talk about as we look at the conclusion of Ruth chapter 4. In doing so, two observations that we're going to make from our chapter, Ruth chapter 4 today. Uh, And the first one is pretty short, and the second one's a little bit longer, but our fingers are warmed up now because we just typed in the big idea, right? And so here we go. Um, Two observations that we're going to make. Number one, we're going to see a joyful covenant-keeping love that redeems. A joyful covenant-keeping love that redeems Next, we're going to see a story of death that becomes a story of life leading to the coming of light into the world. A story of death, which if we go back to Ruth chapter 1, we observe that there is death at the beginning of this book. But over the course of these few chapters and the time that has passed, we see that this story of death becomes a story of life, that there is this grand reversal that takes place, that there's something new, and that it highlights again for us the character of God, all leading to the coming of light into the world. And so let's go to Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, and we have a big idea that we've kind of got our minds on, perhaps. We've got a few observations that we're going to make. And so let's read Ruth chapter 4 in light of these things as we prepare to observe the joyful covenant-keeping love in chapter 4 that redeems. This is God's word, and we are grateful for it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and so as we left last week, you might remember that there has been this conversation, which we'll highlight a bit more in just a moment, but let's get enough context to read it um, from an informed perspective, right? That Boaz has had this conversation with Ruth in which Ruth has requested of Boaz that he would redeem her, that he would rescue her. Right, that he would preserve, that he would step into this role of redeemer that God has provided for his people, right, in order to preserve the line. She is a widow. Death has been a part of her story, as death is a part of all of our stories if we hang around long enough, right? She's made a request of Boaz to to redeem her, both her and her mother-in-law, right? They're a package deal. They come together. That's going to prove to be really important as we continue on. But now we see that there, there is this sequence of events that must take place first, that there is a nearer redeemer than Boaz, and he is all about redeeming, but we've got to go about this the right way. And so he goes to the gate, and he sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, that nearer Redeemer, came by. So Boaz said to him, turn aside, friends, sit down here. We're about to have a chat, right? And he turned aside and he sat down and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now that's what makes these two men redeemers. It is they are related to the now deceased husband of Naomi, Elimelech. Verse 4, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said to Boaz, I will redeem it. Let's just sit in that for a second. This is a surprise, perhaps, for some of us if we've been going through this book. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth. The Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, wait a second. <laughs> wait, like, I, I cannot redeem it for uh, myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning And all that belonged to Shiloh and Milon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Maulon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, <clears throat> that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers. And from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephraim and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this day. Young woman. So, verse 13, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Man, happy Mother's Day. Verse 14, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. There's this grand reversal that has taken place, right? Typically, women are not viewed in the highest esteem within this particular culture. And yet, here you've got her saying these women to Naomi, Ruth is more valuable than seven sons. Man, gospel reversal. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse, and the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. And Ram fathered Amabadiah. And Amabadiah fathered Nation. And Nation fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Man, what a story. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your goodness and for your word. Open our eyes and open our hearts that we might understand your goodness, your grace, your character, your generosity, and your plan to redeem your people this morning. We love you and we're grateful, Father, for your love for us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. A joyful covenant-keeping love and redemption. This is where we begin in verses 1 through 12. This joyful covenant-keeping love and this act of redemption. Now, up until this point, there have been some really interesting notes that we have made about the characters in this story. The need of Naomi, the need of Ruth... The great generosity that they have experienced from the hand of the Lord and his servant Boaz. But up until this point, Boaz has been held up as the faithful, honorable, worthy redeemer of the clan of Elimelech. His generosity has been highlighted over the course of the past few chapters and the way that he has dealt with these needy women. However, Boaz, like Naomi and Ruth, is not without need in this story. And we see that as we come into to chapter Four it's been implicit. we recognize because of our need the need of course that, that Boaz possesses, but it becomes explicit, I think, in a most unique way as we come into chapter four. You begin with the good, right and then we're going to transition into the not so good and so what do you mean by the good? well let's observe some similarities between Boaz and hey, all the way back in the beginning, Adam. Similar to the first Adam, we see that Boaz walks in fellowship with God. We see that Boaz enjoys his role as a master of sorts of this beautiful land. A land that has been cultivated and now is serving to meet the needs of the people. Do we remember Ruth gleaning on the land of Boaz? Right? Bringing home this this food that the needs of both she and Naomi would be met in light of his great kindness. There's a lot of similarities between Adam and and Boaz and, and those continue from the good to the not so good. Right? In creation, we observe God's power and God's wonder. We observe God's grace and creativity, the power of his word producing everything that we see. Him becoming intimate right, with his creation as he forms from the dirt, Adam, as he breathes his spirit, his life into him, making him a living being and then giving him dominion over the garden. You guys are familiar with this, right? This creation narrative that we're going back to and observing here. now. If we go back and we continue to see the story progress, we know that there is a point in in time in which there is a recognition from Adam that that while everything around him is good and, and beautiful, that there is some want in him. That he desires a helper. God brings him to this realization, to this understanding. And then he meets his need. Now, similar to Adam, we see Boaz... As it has become crystal clear through his interaction with Ruth, that something is not so good. That Boaz, while being uh, compassionate and exercising dominion over the land by walking with the Lord and desiring to live in a way that is pleasing and glorifying to Him, is in desire for companionship. Right? He desires a, a helper. A a, a wife. And and a similar scene to that of Genesis chapter 2, God gives to Boaz Ruth from Moab. What an unlikely pairing. And to Ruth, he gives Boaz. He gives them to one another. And in the same way that we see God take from the side of Adam to form Eve, we see in chapter 3, Boaz awakened to find Ruth by his side, desiring refuge underneath his wings. To which Boaz responds with great willingness, and this is important, joy. A reoccurring theme. Through the gospel according to Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3 verse 13. There is a redeemer before me Boaz says. So we need to go about this in a legit way. We need to go about this in the right way. He has first opportunity, but if he won't redeem you, then I will redeem you. And there's this joyous posture from Boaz, not only willing, but joyful. Do we understand how important it is to draw the connection between those two things, right? Like you've probably been willing to do a lot of things, but I don't know that we're always most joyful in our willingness, We do see from Boaz a a joy. We see a promise that Boaz seals as he sends Ruth home with six measures of barley. Again, this is is chapter 3 stuff for us. Ruth, you and Naomi will be filled and you will be provided for. Let's consider how in chapter 3, we're coming into chapter 4, but there's so much work to do to understand what we, what we have and see here. And in, a, in the same way that the Father gives the Spirit and we are filled and there is assurance of provision, we see Boaz send Ruth away with this sign, with this symbol, with this gesture. That she will be cared for, that they will be cared for, that they will not want, that they will not need, but that he will, but he will meet their needs. It's a gesture that does not go unnoticed by Naomi. If we look again back at Ruth chapter 3 verse 18, Ruth is encouraged by her mother-in-law, wise mother-in-law counsel, right? Be patient, Wait, just wait and be patient. Boaz will work this out. And there are some things that we learn at the end of chapter 3 that catapult us into the action of chapter 4. We learn through the conclusion of chapter 3 that a faithful, honorable reputation produces confidence in others. Right? That, that they are cared for and that their good is a priority. This is practical application for God's people. We have this confidence in Christ that we are cared for and that our needs are met. And there's a degree in which we have this confidence in Jesus' people. That's what we see at the end of chapter three. There's a confidence from Ruth, there's a confidence from Naomi because of the gospel character the the loving kind character of boaz that their needs will be met And so we see as we come out of chapter 3 that the table is set for an interaction between Boaz and this nearer redeemer who finds a place ahead of Boaz in line with a, and this is so important, covenant responsibility to care for and preserve the possessions of Naomi and Ruth. Right, This is his obligation. This is what the Lord has instructed His people to be about as they care for one another and preserve the lineage. Meet the needs. Embrace your covenant-keeping responsibility. And so Boaz goes to the city gates, a gathering place of the elders, to engage this Redeemer and to share with him options for rescuing this family. Okay, here's your covenant responsibility, and we're going to dive into that in just a moment. Here's your covenant responsibility. Here's what's on the table. Now let's talk about this work of redemption that is to take place. And it's in verses 3 and 4 that we see the beginnings of this conversation. So look at verse 3 and 4 with me the conversation begins. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. These are women who are in need. They're impoverished. They have nothing. And so they are in need of selling this particular parcel of land in order to be provided for. And so Again, Boaz says to this nearer redeemer in verse 4, So, I thought I would tell you, right? I'll just bring this to your attention and say, buy it, in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And so... Imagine for a moment, for those of us who have, who have been journeying through this book over the past three weeks, we come into it today, we've seen the obvious care and concern from Boaz for not only Ruth, but also Naomi. Not only for Naomi, but also for Ruth. And now he approaches this nearer redeemer with this, with this problem, right? this, this need. He presents it to the Redeemer, and the Redeemer says, I will redeem it. Wait a second. This isn't the way that we imagine the story going, is it? Can you um, just imagine the anticipation and how much time has passed and now silence has built and built and built and then there is this response from the nearer redeemer that he will redeem it? Imagine the silence leading up to and imagine the silence following Boaz undoubtedly excited about the the possibility and the potential for this, this helpmate. And Ruth, remember the joy that we talked about earlier on? There's a massive surprise that we are confronted with in verses 4 and 5. You you are not supposed to be the Redeemer, Redeemer, nearer Redeemer, right? That's what we want to say. That's almost what I want to say as I read through. You're not supposed to be the Redeemer. It's it's Ruth and it's it's Boaz. It's not Ruth and and whoever this guy is. This nearer redeemer is not painted by the author in positive light. How do we know that? Anybody can tell me the name of the nearer redeemer. No, like we only have his name right as we see the interaction between Boaz and this nearer redeemer as he approaches the city gates it's almost a hey you guy come over here and let's have a chat right this is the translation this is kirk translation of what we see going on here in Ruth chapter 4 it's not a positive light that this nearer redeemer is being painted and it's certainly not a negative light at least not yet although that will come based on his response to the follow up information He's not painted in a solid light, is he? We begin to ask questions like, why would this guy even want to redeem? Like, we're aware of this this love that has been kindled between Boaz and Ruth. Right? Their, Their desire for one another. But what about this guy? Like what what's in it for you? Like, what is this all about as it pertains to you? It only makes sense if we begin to look at it from a, a business model, a business perspective. As we look at it from a business proposition, it begins to make more sense. I mean, think about it. Naomi is older and she will not be having children. We remember that all the way back from Ruth chapter one when she told her her daughters-in-law, like, I'm not having any more kids. Just go back and find husbands for your Selves. And so as a result, for the nearer Redeemer, this looks like a, a really, really stellar opportunity, right? To, to acquire, to purchase land, and to increase His assets. There is very little long-term sacrifice from the nearer Redeemer. And as a result of this low-risk, high-reward he says, of course, like, of course, I'll redeem it. This costs me almost nothing. Like I'm not, I'm not out at, at all. Only that's not really true, right? Because, because 3 and 4 are only part of the story, and there is still this matter of Ruth. And so we, we land in verse 5. Look with me at verse 5 as the story continues. He's really eager, right? He's really eager coming out of verse 4. Then we come into verse 5, and Boaz says, oh, by the way. All right. By the way, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Think about the way that this plays itself out. While Naomi is virtually zero investment, right? Right? In Ruth, there is potential for, and even even this obligation towards producing children. And with the children comes, as perhaps you know, right? Again, Happy Mother's Day, right? There's a long-term investment. And there's an immediate financial responsibility that comes along with this. And as a result, verse 6, the Redeemer says... I'm out, (laughs) right? Like I'm, I am, I'm out. I cannot redeem it for myself because if I do, I might impair my own inheritance. And so take my right of redemption yourself. For I cannot redeem it. And so that which is implicit, as we see this, this dialogue between Boaz to the Near redeemer, hey, come over here, let's have a chat, guy one, right? Guy one, come over here, let's have a chat, we'll get guy ten more, and then we'll have a conversation about this. Now becomes much more explicit. No wonder, no wonder he's not painted in the most positive of light. The financial responsibility from the perspective of this near redeemer, is less responsibility and long-term investment, and it's more burden. right? The the personal expense exposes the selfishness of this nameless Redeemer's heart. And in it, we are reminded of what we observed in Ruth chapter 1. Think about what we saw in Ruth chapter 1. Two women faced with a costly decision. Naomi dialoguing with Ruth and her other daughter-in-law and, and, and telling them to, to return, this is, this is a costly decision. This is something that will require something of you to walk away from everything that you have known and and to come with me to Bethlehem. Uncertainty. Behind you lies certainty. You know what to expect in Moab. But ahead lies uncertainty. And we see Orpha respond by turning back and returning to Moab, while Ruth, on the other hand, says no. Right, your people will be my people. I know I don't know them now, but I know you and hey, your God will be my God, and so I know their God right intimately now. We talked about in Ruth chapter one how this is not just a, a statement concerning Concerning like a, a, a willing but somewhat begrudging submission, but this is instead a no, this is a salvific statement. Like I am going with you, I'm turning from everything that lies behind me in Moab and everything in my past, false gods, idolatry, hardness of heart, and I'm going with you into Bethlehem. We saw two women faced with a costly decision to turn from sin, to turn from Moab, and to turn to God and towards Bethlehem, right, to return uh, to the native land of Naomi. And as a result, one turns back, while the other confesses faith and sets her face towards the city of bread. In Ruth chapter 4, we see two men. We see two men. All right, we, see, we see one man who turns from his responsibility, deeming the cost to be too great. And we see another who, who leans in, not begrudgingly, but again, remember what our word was in the beginning, joyfully. He joyfully leans in to the responsibility to which we say this. There's something that we can take note of concerning the redeemed heart. Right For the redeemed heart, there is joy found in covenant obedience. Right? In the redeemed heart, there is joy found in covenant obedience, joy in faithfulness. Right? There is most definitely a cost, but there's this great connection that has obviously been made in the heart and mind of Boaz concerning the character of God. Who he is and what he has done to rescue and redeem his people, to preserve his people again and again, or and or. And there's this desire from Boaz for a helper, and here it's an unlikely candidate. But there's Ruth, right? This, as we have referred to her a number of times over the past few weeks, this new follower of Yahweh, to which Boaz says, yes, joy in faithfulness. This is a display of the heart of God. This is a display of the character of God as God's people are given the opportunity to glorify and identify with our God and His great faithfulness. So we acknowledge here in the beginning that our heart's default setting is that of the reluctant, denying Redeemer. That's what we look like naturally. That's what we look like in and of ourselves. We count the cost and we deem whether it be too great or not. And as a result, we we turn away, right, rejecting the Lord and rejecting his word, right? But, But what we see through the heart of a redeemed individual is a joy in faithfulness. Those are two drastically different hearts, aren't they? We see our need for heart transformation, and we see what it looks like when a heart is transformed. This is what the redeemed heart looks like. Did you know that? This is what the redeemed heart looks like. This is what a a faithful, now faithful heart looks like, right? Desiring to live in obedience to the instruction of the Lord, not begrudgingly, but joyfully, because there's this connection to His great generosity, His character, his love, there is a new heart. We are in need of new hearts. We see our need and we see a great illustration of of joyful covenant obedience. From Boaz to Ruth and Naomi, we see a love that leads to redemption. Redemption. We see a love that leads to redemption. We observe it from Boaz to Ruth and Naomi. But if we step back and we consider the counsel of God, right, we we observe it here, don't we? A, A love that leads to redemption. We sang about it as we began our time. So we sing about the love of God, God's great love for people, his pursuit of sinners, He loves, and as a result, He redeems. He sets His covenant-keeping love upon us. And He calls us into intimacy and fellowship with Him. Do we get this? Are we grasping this? From Boaz to Ruth and Naomi, we see a love that leads to redemption. Over the course of 66 books here, we see a love that leads to redemption. Look with me at verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech, death, and all that belong to Shiloh and Milon, death, and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Milon. I have brought to be my wife. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses. You're witnesses. Right? There's this public proclamation that, that overflows, that comes from this joyful redemption that Boaz is leaning into and stepping into as we observe it in chapter 4. And then there is a party. There's a party of sorts that breaks out right here in the middle of of chapter 4, a celebration of what has taken place and a pronouncement of blessing upon Boaz and his new family. What does that look like? Hey, three points. Here it is. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. Man, there's a a timelessness that they are connecting with with this new wife, this new husband, this covenant relationship. They might have meant it as lip service. We don't know. I don't know. But I know that based on the words, man, this is a powerful statement. May you act worthy. Be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez and Tamar who bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. We see a joyful covenant-keeping love that redeems and this celebration that results... From the redemption, right? What does redemption produce? What does this understanding of redemption produce within us? It mirrors that which we observe here at the end of this first observation. Joyful celebration. Party, right? Party. There's a party that's going on here, right? And there's this expectation of what the Lord is to accomplish as this plan continues. This is not the end. But this is just This is just the beginning. We see a joyful covenant keeping love that redeems. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, a story of death that becomes a story of life that leads us to the coming of light into the world now I'm going to cram a lot of sections, two, two major sections, two, two major sections of verses, verses 13 through 16 and 17 through 22 in one section. This is one idea, okay? Let's look at verse 13 together. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Think about the way that this story begins. Just flip back to Ruth chapter 1. I'm not going to read it, but I will give you a a, a synopsis that will prove to be beneficial in understanding the point. There's this story that begins with disobedience. There's a story that begins with, with disloyalty and death. As we see this family from God's people flee from God's city amidst amidst difficulty to go into a land that they are not to occupy. We see them running from God's covenant and seeking refuge in a country that is, is born out of sin and fleshly desires. We see a story that begins with, with disloyalty and it progresses into death as all of the men associated with this story in chapter 1 die. But over the course of the next four chapters, we see this story of disloyalty and death transformed into a story of life. Right? We, we begin with their flight. And the death of the men, and we conclude our time together with the birth of a son. Think about the way these books, the way it begins and ends, the book ends of Ruth. You see what we what we can observe God doing over the course of these four chapters, and as we conclude our time here in chapter four, is God enacting his plan. God is enacting his plan from eternity past, and now we are seeing externally the fruit of that. It's been growing internally, but now we see it come to the surface. We see it come unto fruition. We see this faithfulness from the Lord that produces fruit. And we see fruit that produces worship. I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about that, that, that statement. Faithfulness that produces fruit. And fruit that produces Worship. Look with me at verse 14. Blessed be the Lord, the women say to Naomi, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. They're they're talking of Boaz, but there is this bigger story that's being told. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. This is incredible, you guys <laughs> like this is this is incredible when we understand where this is going, may he be a restorer of life and a, and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter in law who loves you more than then seven sons is given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Hey, there is no way that Naomi ever could have imagined the great goodness of the Lord in Ruth chapter 1. We see a kindness that leads her into repentance. But in terms of restoring that, had been, what that, had been, that which had been lost, there was, there was no concept. There was no category for that. And so we might ask why this genealogy at the end of the book? Right, why this family tree of, of sorts? Right? If you look at chapter four with me, man, it's been action packed. We've been going and going and going hard through the book of Ruth. And then we come to this to these last few verses. About the child's name, Obed, being the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And then there's this almost what might initially appear to some some of us as a dusty ending. In light of all of the excitement that we've observed. But, But we've got to approach this in the right light. These are the generations of Perez. They're all the generations leading us to Boaz. Boaz leading us to Obed, and Obed leading us to Jesse, Jesse leading us to David. As we seek to understand deeper this family tree and its connection not only to this book but to the book and God's plan of redemption, we need to consider a few things. We need to consider the events of this book and how God has been working. Hang with me. We're going to begin landing this thing now. Now. The book begins with with an immigration, and if there is no immigration, then there is no Ruth in Bethlehem, because Ruth is a byproduct of the immigration. There uh, is no Ruth in Bethlehem if there is no immigration, And, and there is no wedding between her and Boaz, again, if Ruth does not find herself in the city of bread. If there's no wedding, then there is no Obed, and as a result, naturally, there is no Jesse. And if there's no Jesse, then there is no King David. Why is that powerful? Why is that important? Why is that noteworthy? Well, because we see the story of a widow who became a mother, who became a grandmother, who became a great-grandmother, who became a great-great-grandmother to a king, right? And it's at this point that we begin to get the heart all right, this book is about Naomi, but it's not ultimately about Naomi. All right, we see a book that is, is about Ruth, but it's not ultimately about Ruth. It's about Boaz, but it's not ultimately about Boaz or, or Obed. It's about uh, David, but it's not ultimately about David, but it's about this, this greater king. It's about a greater king, Jesus. Jesus right who who comes from the lines of david to lead his people out of sin and into righteousness And he, as he experiences death, like David, but unlike David, as the perfect and final redeemer of his people, Jesus, from the line of David, whose name we see as the last, the period point in the book of Ruth, who comes from the line of Ruth. Perfect. And holy is our king, Jesus. Yet becoming the object of God's anger towards and judgment of sin. We see that this book is ultimately about a king who comes from the line of the redeemed to become the redeemer of sinners as he hangs on a tree. Do you get that? This story is about a redeemer who comes from the line of the redeemed in order to be the redeemer of his people as he hangs upon a tree. Separated from the Father so that through his death and in his resurrection by faith humanity could be united with God through his sacrifice in our place. This is what Peter has to say. As he preaches at Pentecost, Jesus has ascended back to the Father, and the Spirit has been poured out upon the disciples. And as he preaches, he highlights David, and he points toward Jesus being the truer and the better. David both died and was buried. This is from Acts chapter 2, verse 29. And his tomb, Peter says, is with us until this day. Jesus, on the other hand, did not see corruption or decay, but he is alive as we are now by faith, as we will one day be. Right? resurrected to a new and living hope. For the nearer Redeemer, the cost was too great for redemption. He, he turns away and he leaves the work to another who could. And as it pertains to our redemption, we see a counterpart on, on who, one who looks like but outshines Boaz. Right, one who uh, no cost was too great, even his own life, even the Father's wrath. Jesus, Jesus, right, Jesus leaning in by way of the incarnation, right, taking on, taking on sinful flesh in order that we might be redeemed from our sinful flesh, no cost, being too great, saving, rescuing, sustaining, equipping, calling us to go out and to share the news of the greater David, the Redeemer, the great Redeemer, the final Redeemer with a world in need of redemption. We see through the book of Ruth that God works all things, all things. Do you believe this? Some of us need to hear this again and again every week. Right? God works all things together for the good of those who love him. God's word says this to us, and we, we believe it. We grasp hold of it. We hold to it, and we look to the cross as evidence of the truthfulness of this statement. Whatever your sins or my sins may be, he brings his purpose to fruition. The book of Ruth shows us this. The book of Ruth tells us this. The Bible shows us this. The Bible tells us this. So we look to Christ. How do we respond? We look to Christ. We look to Christ with with joy, right? To see the purpose in our question and, and confusion, deeper trust and confidence in God and His goodness. Our King is kind. Our King is kind. And our king is committed. Our king is steadfast. Cory Tin Boom, who was a Holocaust survivor, said this. The context is helpful, right? For someone speaking of God working to bring that which is difficult and hard and even at times evil for good. This is a paraphrase. We never have to be afraid to trust an unknown future. To a known God. Right? We never have to be afraid to trust an unknown future, that which we are all stepping into, right? To a known God. We say this, right, along, along with Corey ten Boom. And so, let us praise the Lord. Let us praise the Lord, let us kneel at the throne of our God, because it is through the Son, the great Redeemer Jesus, that our salvation is brought with mercy and grace. And so let us, in our time remaining together, as we approach the Lord's table, let us bow down before our King. Right. Let's offer our gratitude and our lives to our King in response to His great generosity. In daylight and in darkness, we sing to our Lord. In daylight and in darkness, we sing to our Lord. And so let us come to the table this morning, confident in God's plan and in God's purposes, His character. His working all things together for good. And let us sing to our Lord.